Hello and welcome to Talking Bottom. I'm Paul Tanter. I'm Matt Brooks. And I'm Ange Pearson. And we're delighted to be joined by a very special guest this week. He's one of the most important and instrumental people in the rise of alternative comedy. He's an actor, director, writer and comedian. As a young man, he trained at the Bristol Old Vic and began his career in Alan Bennett's 40 Years On. With friend and regular collaborator Nigel Planer, he formed The Outer Limits, a musical comedy double act that toured the nation with their shows Rank and The Wild Boys, as well as playing regularly at London's Comedy Store. It was from here that he moved to the Raymond Review Bar, where he founded the comic strip. Not long after, he brought the comic strip to television, with the comic strip presents Five Go Mad in Dorset being the first comedy shown on the very first night of Channel 4 when it launched in November 1982. Since then, he's written, directed and acted in dozens of comic strip shows for Channel 4, the BBC and Gold, including, but definitely not limited to, Bad News, The Strike, Four Men in a Car, The Bullshitters, and A Fistful of Travellers Checks. He also created The Glam Metal Detectives and co-created, co-wrote and directed Stellar Street, plus wrote and directed films The Supergrass, Eat the Rich, The Pope Must Die, and Churchill, The Hollywood Years. But it's from his appearances in front of camera that many will recognise him. Whether it's drumming on stage at Castle Donington as part of Bad News, leaping on double-decker buses in his pants spoofing the professionals, being locked in the boot of a car by Rick Mail while covered in vomit, channeling a Hollywood legend as Arthur Scargill, or doing a frighteningly accurate Lee Van Cleef playing Tony Benn, Peter Richardson is someone who, as comedy fans, we all owe a huge thank you to. Peter, welcome and thank you for being here. It's a pleasure to have you talking bottom with us. Oh, gosh. Why are you called bottom? Is it because you love Rick and Nate's bottom so much? <laughs> that's that's, yes. that's literally it. The genesis of this podcast was that we um, it was born out of a love for that particular show. All, all of us, it was our, our favourite shows. Um, as young as younger people, and uh, we thought we would do a podcast about it. You can't possibly it. like my shows, and if you like, if you like Boston, it's like oh, they're, they're complete opposites, are they? Yeah, There's no. Yeah. I I th I, th I think the Venn the Venn diagram between your shows and and Bottom is actually is actually more of a circle than you think. <laughs> well, do you know the first one they did was Mr. Jolly, who's next door. That was the prototype. That was the, that was the pilot that Stephen Frears directed of, of Bottom. That was the first Bottom. We've noted that in our podcast a few times that there's similarities. Oh, yes. I mean, I know it was. I know that. I mean, they were doing that on stage as well for the Dangerous Brothers when we had the comic strip. They were known as the Dangerous Brothers. Yourself and Nigel as the Outer Limits and Rick and Ada's um, originally 20th century. 20th century, oh, century Coyote, but they introduced themselves at the comic strip as the Dangerous Brothers. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they're basically, they've been doing the same thing since the <laughs> We should probably intro that the BFI is happening this month, yeah. isn't it? Yes, so this month on Friday the 19th and Sunday the 21st of May, you'll be at London's BFI for a 41st anniversary celebration of the Comic Strip Presents. Well, actually, it's the 40th, really funny, because our first series didn't come out until January, February of 1983. Oh, so it's the 40th. Five Go Mad came out, Five Go Mad came out in United Channel 4, but the series didn't come out until... Okay. I don't know, that's very, actually, it's very boring to point that out. <laughs> It's a technicality. Um, very, very particular. <laughs> what, I'll do, what I'll do is I'll now say for the 40th anniversary celebration, and now later on I'll edit that in, and it was and it will sound like I knew what I was talking about rather than uh, rather than going on faulty information. Over the course of three events over two days, the BFI will be screening a selection of your favourite clips, uh, plus the strike, GLC, the carnage continues, bad news, and Churchill, the Hollywood years. You're also being joined by guests including. Nigel Planer, Alexi Sale, French and Saunders, Gary Beadle, and Julie T. Wallace, and Nigel Planer for, for Q&As. Did you ever think all those uh, 40 years ago 
that you'd still be screening the comic strip to audiences now? No, I mean, I, I think, I mean, that was, that was the, you know, it was, I mean, we were still making, the last one we made was 2014, 2015 with Red Top. Mm. So we carried on for 30 so odd years. And I mean, it's only, it all depends who's in charge of what TV channel. And right now there's nobody who wants to make something like the comic strip really. Uh, they don't even make sitcoms, you know, let alone comedy films. You know. Was that was there no more appetite at Gold after uh, Five Go to Rehab? No, I was sort of. We wanted to make more with Gold, but um, they did. I think Red Top. They um, they got a bit scared of Red Top. I think because they were they were kind of got involved with the Murdoch Sky owned part of Gold. I think. I mean, I don't know why they made it. Actually, to be honest, <laughs> but they sort of tried to pretend they hadn't. Sort of oh. buried it really. They never. <laughs> I mean, it got pick of the day, but they never advertised it like they did with the five good rehab. Or, Do you find um, that um, even if even if uh, companies are more reticent to make them, are there are there new audiences still finding the comic strip presents through the box set and streaming and that kind of thing? I don't know. You you probably tell you probably know better than I do. I mean, I I think when the video came out uh, some years ago now, the compilation box, which had sort of everything up to five. Four men in the plane. We made a few more after that. I, I understand a lot of people, young, quite a lot of student type of people bought it. Mm, yeah. We've all we've all got it, haven't we? Have you? Yes. Well, you, you don't look that old. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for saying so. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm 39. So I didn't catch the comic strip the first time around. No, of course not. But it's great to... It, you know, as a student, I got that because I loved Bottom and I loved obviously a lot of Rick and Aids uh, output, yes. and that's why I bought the comic strip so did, that did I could get, catch up on that. Did you get into that at all? Did you like some of them? I did, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love um, a lot of them, but a fistful of traveler's checks, and then of course in 1998 when uh, Four Men in a Car came out, I loved that. That's I'm showing, I'm showing seven minutes of that untouched because I think right. it's the best seven minutes of mayhem that we have. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping it's the it's the sequence in the car when gold is on a loop. Oh, God, it's fantastic. I just it, love it. It's, that, that is one of the best sequences. It really is. So out of the numerous, um, what do we call them, episodes, films of the uh, Comic Strip Presents, do you have any particular favourites personal to your heart or even any ones that you think are underrated that you love? And didn't maybe get the recognition. I've got, I've got some I do like. I actually like the later ones. I think better than the early ones because I think they're funnier and they're more the sharper and better filmed. And I mean, I like Gregory Driver in that case. I do know that one. It's just yeah. to take take off Science of the Lambs. Yeah, uh, with Adrian playing this guy who's a, who's a wannabe serial killer, building a torture chamber, which he falls into. And I like that. I like that one. I like Four Men in a Plane, and I think Four Men in a Car's good. Yeah, I like I like the first half of that very much. Hunt for Tony Blair, I feel good about. I like that one. Mm. Did you ever see that one? Yeah, yeah, the Hunt yeah. for Tony Blair. Like, yeah, I remember watching that like with Stephen Bungan. Some of that were just literally extracts from his diary, if I understand correctly. <laughs> well, I couldn't believe it when I read the book. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, it was like things like if John Smith dies, and this is before he's died, I will be leader, not Gordon. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and, he re and there's a version, you know, there's an audio book with Blair reading that, reading that book, and, and he's saying those lines. I mean, oh. I just didn't. Could you cut together a version of Blair's voice and your film? You, you, think? Can, you can have Blair reading that, that uh, those exact lines, apparently. Yeah, amazing. Oh. One of my all-time favourite episodes is The Strike. I, mean, I think it's absolutely oh, brilliant, you. brilliant lampoon of filmmaking in general, but 
of Hollywood's uh, interference. Now, how I was introduced to this was when I was uh, in college studied as a film student and I had a very cynical professor that was like, oh, the industry is shit. You know, everyone's out to get you and stuff. I'm going to show you this. It's tongue really? in cheek. It's tongue in cheek, but this is exactly what Hollywood's like. And I didn't even know who Arthur Scargill was. No, of course. And um, the first question I have about that is, how on earth did you get Al Pacino involved? How did you get him to play the main character? It's it's amazing. How? Well, because I was Al Pacino. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, that was a that was a trip up question, wasn't yeah, it? Like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's funny. I'm trying. I was Al Pacino, yeah. Cool. So, um, four of the. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> things that you're showing at the BFI are actually Hollywood versions of British events. I suppose so. Um, the strike, GLC, and Churchill. 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 Is, and that, is that by design? And is that why you went to the BFI? Because of the whole film industry link? I think they, um, I think strike and GLC go together. And they're both, they both, GLC I think is funnier than the strike, to be honest. Uh, well, it's certainly easier to make a trailer out of it. I think they chose two to go together. I and mean, we wanted to show a few films, you know, but so on Friday, we're showing two 20 minute sections, one 20 minute and then one 26 minute section but of sort of scenes from the comic strip. And then on Sunday, we're, we're showing Bad News and Churchill because I've just done a cut, I've just done a cut of Churchill. I mean, that Churchill is again, there's a Hollywood, it's got a Hollywood actor in it this time. It's Christian Slater. There's no, there's no, you know, nobody's trying to pretend to be Hollywood. He is, he is Hollywood. Which actually is a different kind of film, you know. Yeah. So I've done I've done a cut of that. I've cut it down to sixty minutes from eighty five. What have you taken out? Everything. No, I took out. <laughs> I've just left. I've just left me there. No, the, it's um. I've taken out all the sort of flabby bits that actually slowed up the film, which made it a movie, but actually made it less funny. Right. And the right. scenes that just seem like padding now, and they and you won't miss them if you when you watch it. It's it's just story and jokes. It's got. When it's not being funny, it's just doing hardcore story with Christian, who looks much better in it now than he did. There's a scene actually at the beginning, sort of breakfast scene with Harry doing his having his breakfast, and then you've got Elizabeth and Margaret. And it was both their first day filming, and it just didn't ever quite work for me. And I thought I'll just cut it, we don't need it. Just have a sign she's signing up to join the war. That's it, you know, it's the starting point. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Excellent. And anthology series is something of a rarity in the UK. Um, it's notable that most people can probably name all of them. The Outer Limits, of course, is American, Tales of the Unexpected, and oh, Black yeah, Mirror. Yeah. And the, they're the more serious, of course, the comedy ones are Ripping Yarns, Inside Number Nine, and the comic strip presents. Um, was telling a different story every week part of the appeal for you creating the comic strip? That was the most uh, un unfriendly television idea, really, mm. because television works on repetition. Mm. And you know, most success is like, oh, we got that. Well, let's have another one, and another one, and another one. And let's have much more of them. And I think I went to um, to, to my, see Michael Bolland at Channel Four, and they were just about to open. I said, I just think these guys can do anything. I think they can do. They can do. They don't have to be stuck in the young ones. They can do anything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and so it's, you've got a little rec company here. So it's like Ealing Films, or it's that sort of more that more akin to making comedies. And it's hit and miss, I'm afraid. And I didn't mm. say it'll be hit and miss. I said it'll all be hits. <laughs> Yeah, of course. And I know bad news got revisited, but was there ever a temptation to stay with well, the same Five characters? Mad. Five Go Mad, we did we did two mm. of those. And we even did one 30 years later called Five Go to Rehab. Mm. Mm. Did you ever and want to do a, a kind of six episode, same character format, though? Or did you find that would be too staid? 
I did Stella Street for that really. I mean, Stella Street was just a bunch of, again, Hollywood stars living in suburbia, mm -hmm. but very different to what we did in the comic strip. It was just John and Phil playing everything. And I just did all the camera work and, mm -hmm. and lit it. And there's just three of us make it. <laughs> we didn't even film through hardly, you know. Yeah, but that was what was great about the comic strip presents because you, you, you didn't know what you were going to get with everyone that kind of came on and it, that was what was exciting. There were some you liked more than others. Back. And certain people, people like different ones as well, actually. There mm. were people who liked, you know, and it's funny, people don't always like the same ones. I know people who are in the film industry or connected to that like the strike, whereas people who are not don't kind of get the strike. Yeah. And yeah. It's, I wouldn't say it's a hugely popular one, but it is one people say, oh, it's a very good one, but it's only people in the film industry, who, yeah. which is nice. They can relate. Yeah. It's a hard thing to get right. It's like a lot of people don't want to know how the sausage is made, the term. Um, no. It, it no. put me in mind, uh, well, um, I'm gonna, I was about to steal the credit for this. Paul said it uh, reminded him of the episode of The Simpsons where ra ra the Radioactive Man episode. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's another really good lampooning of Hollywood interfering and not really understanding the source yeah. on things. It's, yeah, it's a shame that everyone gets the film jokes about filmmaking because uh, I think when they're done brilliantly um it's nothing it, about it can't just be about that though it has to have other things going on doesn't it I think and that was it's all about um yeah <clears throat> as well yeah I think it's all, I think fun of it taking a very unglamorous story and making it glamorous was kind of fun as well and, and play, playing with the truth and the history of it yeah which was, which we did on Churchill as well, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And do you feel an anthology show like the comic strip would be given the same kind of freedom today as, as it seemed you were given back in the 80s by Channel 4? I think it was amazing we got, I mean, no one had done it like before or since. I mean, we, I think we were completely unique. And mm -hmm. the only thing about comic strip, even though we didn't do six of anything, that got everyone going, oh, I've got to see the comic strip because I love, you know, Five Go Mad, or what bad, six bad news or six, six Five Go Mad. The difference is that I suppose 30 years later, we were still still making new films. We still are. I mean, if, if somebody steps in, this I mean, I nearly made one this last summer. Oh, really? Or Lie Another Day, about Boris, about the Boris thing. Lie oh, Another God. Day. Yeah. Love uh, that. And it was, and the story, I tell you very simply, it wasn't a Hollywood thing at all. I mean, it was more like that Boris and um, Cameron and Osborne were actually Russian agents. Apparently they were brought into, trained at the Minsk Academy of School to learn to become Etonians. <laughs> and they're, they're brought, into, brought into England as, it, as fully trained Etonian KGB agents. But they, they're called the Oxford Three. Nice. <laughs> and well, you say you nearly made it. How, how, come, how come it's not been it made? It got really screwed up by a company at the BBC who wanted to have control of everything. We said, even our first film, Five of Mad, we've got, got to choose the cast and the crew. And now you're saying you've got to choose that. And, uh, 40 years later, you want to control it. Not going to happen, you know. Mm. Was, was that lookout point? Yes, it was absolutely yeah, awful. They're, they're, they're the people that are uh, you. They're the people who made Happy Valley and stuff like that, aren't they? Right, I'm sure they're yeah. very good. No, <laughs> they, they, they were shit with us, that's all. and they can't. I mean, the whole thing blew up because of them. You know? Right, right. I was working but, with Shane Allen, having and co-writing with him. You know, yeah, it was just great, and I thought it was going to be a fantastic one. How how close did it get to to filming? Did you have cast in mind for Boris? Had cast locations, the crew. Do you mind? I didn't have Boris. I didn't have Boris though. Okay. Uh, who was, the... you, was there anyone that you wanted for Boris? I did. I wanted. Um, I've forgotten his name. A little Britain guy. Um, oh, Matt, Matt Lucas. Lucas. Matt Lucas, because I saw him do an uh, impression, and I went, "Wow, he's he's just spot on." 
yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't do it. I think he didn't want to be stuck. He just so hated Boris. He didn't want to be stuck doing it, you know, mm. or be ever right. ever forever seen as Boris. Give him PTSD or something. <laughs> so I would have found someone, but um, I wasn't going to do it myself. Now Boris is no longer prime minister. Has the chance? Has that opportunity? Of course. Now? I mean, how about that? You know. So I mean, literally, <laughs> as the film would have come out, we'd already we'd already fired Liz Truss. <laughs> never mind but never mind boris <laughs> so probably i was like maybe god was looking after us then so <laughs> well, yeah it's a good thing you didn't start developing a Liz trust well, i hope we still keep making that <laughs> you know we bring younger people in as we all start falling off the perch you know yeah we've lost yeah. a couple already like do you Robbie think do you think it ends badly will ever will ever get made i really keep i keep i keep having faith that it will yes i think it's very it's our best script we've spent so long working on it have you still got Steve Mangan and Harry Enfield in mind? Or yes, you... yes, I do. Uh, Although every day they're getting older. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to go for you. I mean, it was originally going to be me and Rick playing this part. Right. Oh. And about 20 years ago, I thought, no, we're too old for it. <laughs> it's been going a long time. That one. Through the comic strip, you played a lot of different characters yourself, sometimes spoofing detective genres or playing a Hollywood version of a, of a British politician or... Uh, in one of my favourite ones, playing a very scarily accurate uh, Lee Van Cleef. Oh, uh, really? God, that was it was quite tough to do that. Yes, I, I, you you look and sound and act just like him. In that, it's really uncanny about how accurate that doing with your face, the makeup. It's it's extremely accurate. Um, Thank you. I was it was a tough one to do because the voice was so not me. Yeah, as you, yeah. Can, as you can hear. So I had to gargle whiskey before I said a line. <laughs> Okay, let's do the live. <laughs> um, of all the of all the characters that you played, was there a particular favourite that you had? I quite enjoy seeing. Actually, one one I thought was also quite tricky to play was Jason King, Jason Bentley in Detectives on the Edge with yeah. Jim Broadbent, and I yeah. played the guy in the velvet suit, which actually was a precursor of um, the oh. Hollywood film. You know, the oh, um, Austin Powers. Austin Powers, because he did he did Austin Powers about five years after that, four or five years after that. So I don't know whether they saw our thing, but. This, the, the, that show was amazing, wasn't it? The guy with probably you never saw it, Department S. No, 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 I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Peter, Peter, Peter was fantastic Peter. in it. And you, Peter Wingard, it. Peter Wingard. He was so kind of decadent 60s sort of thing. That was fun. And his voice was so, so actually, you know. So that was a hard one to get right. But I got the voice on that. I, I quite liked doing that one. Wait, when you saw Austin Powers, did you have a similar feeling to how you must have felt when you saw Spinal Tap for the first time? They thought, I was here first doing this. And someone else is making more money on it. I no, I didn't. I mean, I, I actually didn't think that because I, he'd done his own thing with it, and, I, and I, he he probably would have known about Department S and seen that. Although he might have realised that. I mean, his was a really fully formed, you know. I, my my mom was just an extra character, really. It wasn't really centre yeah. centre stage of it, and bullshit is when Jim Broadbent was. Bad News was shot about the same time, I reckon, by by coincidence. And when you see Bad uh, Spinal Tap, it's a very different premise because this is a successful band that are falling apart whereas we're falling apart band trying to be successful so, you know we're starting a van we're, we're grubby and shit and they're sort of this kind of big rock band your, your character's voice is quite uh similar to you know, not saying you ripped him off at all but it's, it's i guess it's just the british posh rocker well, spider. Spider yeah spider yeah I think he said a little bit. I don't think he's very posh, was he? I think. (laughs) Well, it's sort of. Well, it's not not like Rick Mao's character is the posh one, I suppose. Rick always always loved to do something posh, you know. (laughs) I didn't know what I was going to do with um, 
spider, which I always thought was, I thought, I, I felt, uh, that's, I did feel good about spiders. I thought he was a real character. Hmm. And There's something going on with him, isn't there? There's, it's very layered. It's not just smug. I don't think it's a it. cliche. I cliche because it was somebody I played in a band with who used to play harmonica. He was called Pete Trill, and he was like always, you know, scratching his nose, and he was, it was lovely actually. And um, I didn't know what I was going to do with this character. I had no idea. And it was the morning we were shooting, and I put this wig on on sideboards. So I went, "Fuck, I'm Pete Trill." <laughs> um, so I was sort of thinking, how did Pete sound? And I, you know, just jumped into his skin ready to, to do it. And, and Chrissy Hines said, you're exactly like a drummer we had. That's why she loved Bad News so much. Because she be, I was like one of the Pretenders drummers, you know. Can you drum? Like, Can you drum? I, I did drum all the way through. I mean, I did the, did the film, you know, did the soundtrack yeah. the film. When we, when we came to do the album with Brian May, it all got sampled and, you know, it was all thing and, uh, and it sounded much smarter. But <laughs> I didn't, I, I'd never thought, I didn't think it sounded like Bad News anymore, really. That, that was just too produced. Well, Across all of the comic strip uh, episodes and films, are there any particular favourite performances from Rick and Aid that you were uh, that you remember or, or particularly? Oh enjoyed? yeah, I mean I, Adrian. I mean I see, see the thing is I I the bottom thing is great, but I think Adrian's much better than that. And when he did uh, Gregory Darvin Nutcase, he's fantastically interesting, very very good. He's very good at communicating with the camera and that, that sort of character. Is is just is John Major was brilliant. In, yeah. Uh, where he's running away from the circus to become an MP. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> running it's... away from the circus to become an accountant. <laughs> he nails that voice very well, doesn't he? Oh, he does, yes. He does. <laughs> he's doing both uh, at the same time, isn't he? He goes back to the circus while he's an MP yeah, or something. He has to work in the circus in the evenings. That's what's funny. Yeah. He's going from Parliament to the circus and then pouring water, you know, getting yeah. cream cakes in his face and all that stuff. I love the film. I really think that film's funny, actually. I've used that. I'm going to show that on bits of that on. It was good. He was very good playing the lead part in Supergrass. He didn't overdo it. He just was that. He's just very natural. So there's this whole side to Adrian where he can do this kind of thing, you know, that he does. But he can also act and, and do, you know, yeah. something quite. I always found that with Rick as well, though. Whenever Rick had a more serious role, you really got to see his acting chops, you know? Yes. I think Rick was better being Rick, so funny enough, because I think that's what he wanted, always wanted to do. Mm. It's what he loved, isn't it? Yes, he loved to be Rick and showing off and, and being the... naughty and being naughty. I mean, you know, I love him in um, New Statesman and uh, uh, he was brilliant on stage. You see, I think he loved an audience so much that he didn't like, he wasn't happy on film. What always would happen with Rick is, <clears throat> because he's a stage performer, he loved to hear laughter, you know, and it was, getting a laugh was, was all he cared about. And when he did a film, he'd do the rehearsal and the crew would laugh. And then they'd do the take and they'd be all quiet. And he'd go, we'd better go again because you didn't get a laugh. That's funny. <laughs> and you, don't, you can't say to me that they're doing their job. They're just, yeah. they, should, they should be still be laughing, you know. Because when he does it, when he does it on television and near the bottom, there's a big, massive yeah. audience there. So, you know, it doesn't matter that so the crew laugh because you can't hear them laughing because everybody else is laughing. So, yeah, but you feed off set. that energy, I imagine. As a performer, but he, yeah. he did like Fistful when he's in the desert, mm. you know, spitting and all the spit going, just that whole detail. <laughs> code, you know, I think he liked the whole thing of being doing the Western thing. And we sat when we were on tour in Australia, we sat around talking about how to do a film like that. And that was where it started you know, about a year before that. Mm. Me and Rick talking, sitting by the pool in Adelaide. Do you do you recall the first time you met Rick and Aid? Was it was it? Well, <coughs> oh, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they weren't Rick and Aid, it was just Rick. 
Rick came on and he did, you know, he did these poems. Have you seen the stuff he did? Yeah, yeah. The theater so, yeah. and Vanessa very, Redgrave. Yeah. Very funny. And it was like him trying, being very serious and getting upset because they're laughing at him. And you can't, you just, yeah. what is love, you know? Shut up! <laughs> they just, they won't stop laughing. <laughs> it was exactly what the intention is. But it was so beautifully done. And then you bring on Adrian at the end, who's this long-haired guy, didn't look anything like Adrian does now. And you sit on a chair and they do like a Beckett sort of spoof. And it, it was all right, but they love Rick so much. They never booed or, you know, because he used to shout gong, get people off the stage. They weren't funny in the comedy store. But they so loved Rick that they won't put up it. And it wasn't until about a week before we started the comedy strip that Rick and Aid suddenly became a, became a double act. And they came up with the Dangerous Brothers and they put these two suits on. And suddenly they, that was the moment when they, they just took, a, took off, you know. Were they a difficult act to follow on stage mm. if you were going on after them? Well, I mean, up until then, we were, we were, we were a much funnier act than they were, apart from Rick being wonderful on his own, which he still did a bit of that. Um, but it was so kind of visual and violent and bottom-like, you know, the whole thing that um, it was, <coughs> I said to Nigel, Nigel was furious that we put them on in the second half and we went first. I said, it's better we go first, you know, and we're better in the first half. Because I just said, you can't, it's very different that kind of energy they're putting in there. You know, so I'm always working as half director, half producer. And when you said I was got shot in the boot by Rick, I'm directing that scene as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm directing myself being crushed at the yeah. boot. <laughs> Do it harder. Uh, can you talk briefly about how you met and formed your double act with Nigel? He says we met at the first Glastonbury, which I've did a film of. I've never seen him in the film I've looked at. We met at a friend's house um, a couple, two or three years later, and they said, oh, you'll love Nigel because he's really funny and he wants to be an actor. And, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I just... And I just sort of been on tour with a theatre company, you know. And I was I was into comedy, but suddenly the two of us clicked, and uh, we start, we went to see. I think you probably know this. We went to see a, a, a couple called Sal's Meat Market. Uh, two Americans. One became very famous because he was the John Ratzenberger who was in Cheers. He was the postman yeah. in Cheers, <clears throat> and they just just did this brilliant play. The two of them playing all parts, you know. Uh, and we were so influenced by that, and I think that's what inspired us to to start putting on. Doing a you know doing an act together where we play lots of parts kind of thing. Wonderful. And that was the start of it. Really. And we then we then we wrote I, I, you know we wrote this play. I wrote this play with Pete Richards, uh, and it was a musical really. And um, Nigel and I worked on it. And we of course I wrote this character Neil for him, who I saw at a festival. Neil was a was a folk singer at a festival I saw. He was, he was um, just so down and miserable. <laughs> and Nigel played played him in uh, in the show, and that was of course later became Neil from the Young Ones. You know. Mm. So the origins of Neil was actually was actually the genesis of that was you seeing someone. I saw someone in the festival. I wrote a scene. I wrote the first scene. In fact, I wrote the first song. Which is, you know. But no, this guy at this festival. I remember telling Nigel about him saying, um, "This song's about a, a girl who's just left me, and it's called I'm Down." And then he sings this song. He said, "This is about another. Uh, this is another girl who also left me." And it's just like, <laughs> everything was so depressing, and it was like you're so miserable, bastard. Um, you probably won't like this one either. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I wrote, wrote out the sort of the scene, and then of course Nigel ran with it and made it, you know, made, made it fantastic, as he would, you know. But uh, funny enough, he did the same thing as I'm talking about Rick doing. Is when we were rehearsing down in Devon in this village hall, he um, he started saying the band aren't laughing at it. We, we, they'd seen it about a hundred times by the time, about, you know, yeah. the day before we're going to go to Plymouth for the first show. And I said, he said, I, we've got to cut Neil out. It's just not working. No one's no one's liking it. I said, we should just check it out. Let's put it in one show. If it doesn't work, so it was this big sort of you know showdown about right, right, Neil. And he, so he did it, and of course it stole the show. You know, and the character. Wicked. 
So uh, back to comic strip stuff. Um, I hear a lot of the filming things was done on the fly, like guerrilla filmmaking, picking up shots here and there. Um, stuff are you riding up to the mall and ditching your motorbike and things uh, yourself and Keith Allen jumping off the bus in the underwear and stuff was that by necessity or was that always the case I mean yeah talk a little bit about your process of how much of it was shot fly <clears throat> certainly with Keith everything was quite dangerous and um, and fearless fearless he was and, and <laughs> so I mean he was always also doing anything off the hoof you know, so, I mean it was always more arranged than it looked. I mean, it was all much more organized than you than probably. I mean, the, it was made to look like it was pretty fly a lot of it. And some some bits were. I mean, I think, yeah, the, but we don't went and did the buses thing um, because we'd never get permission to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and because in those days, people weren't hung up on health and safety quite the same way, you know. You could, mm. I mean, in those days, you could get right, get on a running, moving train, you know. You could open the door and jump on it like we used to have had it. Yes. Before. So there's, there's people who, I mean, I remember we did the hunt for Tony Blair. We, I said, Stephen, I want you to run along this train as it's moving, open the door and run. And it's only going like five miles going, shh, 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 you know. So I said, um, and the guy said, certainly not, you can't do that. Not not here, you can't do that here. It was just going very slowly around. So anyway, he just said, I just went, actually, go, go on, Stephen. <laughs> they did it anyway. It was worse. He wasn't going to hurt himself, of course. It was still moving. And then we were sped up the train afterwards. So the, the train was moving a bit faster, and, and he ran faster as well, of course. <laughs> and and uh, back when you were leaping on and off of buses in your pants, did you get much of a reaction from the people who were just there going about their commute? And my wife was. My wife went up shopping, and this lady said, "I saw your husband. He said he was wearing much, and he was running on it." She heard all. Everyone was telling her what had gone on. So it was just around the corner from where I lived. <laughs> Stupidly. <laughs> Is it true you nearly got arrested by the police, but when you ditched the bike? Strike. Um, yes, I did. Yeah. That was yes, because in fact we did most of that strike stuff completely legally. Because I mean, there was a, it was a trial bike. It wasn't even they had no insurance, it had no helmet, no MOT. I mean, it was just a completely legal bike anyway. So if you could try and get permission for it, it was um. I'm going getting permission to go past the, the mile of the palace with a thing, you know. So, oh, fuck it. And of course, I worked with this cameraman who was an absolute cowboy. He's fantastic, Mike John Metcalf. When he wasn't working with us, he was doing promos with David Bowie or Duran Duran. So, we used to go, he used to go between us and rock and roll. He wore a cowboy hat, leather jacket. He was nothing like your BBC guys at all, you know, the blue anoraks and stuff. And um, so, he's totally up for doing an illegal. So he's in the back of a van coming around the palace. And in the film, I've got to sort of look like I'm running out of petrol, which of course I just sort of shake the bike like this and threw it down <laughs> in front of the traffic and ran up to the van. And John said, yeah, it's quite good. We have to go again, I'm afraid. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. <laughs> the police are so there's no, no, absolutely no chance of going again, that's for sure. And they arrived, they said, because I was directing it as well. Um, and he said, um, Right, who's who's in charge of you? Pointing at me, and I said, "No, I'm just an actor." Brilliant. I said, I said "Right, well, who's got the bike then?" Because the guy who had the bike was fined five hundred pounds for nothing being legal, and we which we paid, of course. But this is um, but he was very you know, game about it. So we didn't get to do it again. No. So that's what you saw was one take. How did the series work in terms of budgeting with the comic strip? Did you get a budget per series, or was you allocated X amount per episode? There was kind of there was a there was a price on each one, I suppose. I mean, the thing was there was a price for the whole series, which occasionally go over a bit. But 
you know, one film would cost, say, 100,000, the next one would cost 160, and the next one would be 80. You know, so they balance out. So it was, a, it was a money for the for the whole project, for the whole six films. And so that's basically up to us to sort of make them. Yeah. And so we saved up to go to Spain. And we shot <laughs> spaghetti hoops with no money at all. Which, what was that? Some one of them. No, it wasn't. It was, um, and I can't remember which one it was. We did quite cheaply. But I think Eddie Monsoon was cheap. And, You'd find would you then find yourself kind of going okay so for this one we need we need to do a lot more so that one later down the line we'll simplify it and we'll work out a way to do that one cheaper that kind of thing. <coughs> we never <laughs> we just went and did what we wanted really. Yeah. Even in the later ones, you were shooting in the middle of the public in four men in a plane. You were sweeping through Stansted Airport as yes, that's right. Get about their business. It's a really impressive and cinematic shot. Did did that oh, take a lot of goes to get right, or was that a one shot thing? Or? I think I think we did it. I think a couple of goes really. I think we did mm. a couple of goes, and but those things are just the choreographing things. And uh, I, people is, I mean, it's great. I've had a lot of people. Oh, it's very clever. I actually say it's not that. It's not that difficult, really. Uh, just got to keep people moving and keep the dialogue moving. And, you know, it's, 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 it's fun to do. But Did no, you have so, permission yeah. for that one? Did you get permission well, or I was that think, just turn off? I don't think we would have been in the airport very long before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, for sure, for sure they, they knew we were going to be doing so. As long as, you know, as long as we uh, was cool about it. And, they, you know, people basically like seeing Rick and Aid and they want to help you. You know, that's the thing about it. They know that you're funny. You know, you're not terrorists doing it. So you're in Italian. You, you've got a film crew and we got health people on so, you know we've got people there to deal with it all i think actually forming in a car was i thought rick was fabulous in there and i think when you say what's rick with grazing i thought he was lovely in that because he was so ah oh, such pain and no, trying, to, trying to hit that hit that with his foot and then trying to do, and then he goes oh god i just want to go to swindon you know? <laughs> <laughs> rick's, 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 best life. rick's, rick's <laughs> escalating mania in that is brilliant as you say from sort of taking out the aggression on the radio through to then ripping out the cords of the engine getting hit by a truck getting um, hit with his arm by the truck and it's like yeah i don't know when adrian gets punched and we i don't know yeah. if i can't it might be the camera's idea but that lens are you right to drive <laughs> <laughs> The faces are all going. I do also really enjoy Nigel Planer's laugh when he gets out and sees that Rick's arm's broken. And oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. And then um, we did the plain one, which actually works better in the second half than the first, but yeah. different kind of sound. Did you enjoy? Did you like that one? I I love, but uh, right, four men in a car and four men on a plane are genuine. Are two of my favourites. It, it might really? be because of the age that I was when I when I saw them, but like that that whole sequence in the car is. Probably my favourite comic comic uh, strip sequence out of everything. Yeah. And Four Men in a Plane is really well done as well. You mentioned that as Rick is shoving you into a car and breaking your legs while you've already <laughs> while you've already thrown up vomit that he says smells like battery acid. That you're yes. also direct, you're directing the scene as well. Is it quite a challenge to? And you've directed a lot of episodes and you've been in a lot of episodes. How challenging is it to direct it and also be in it at the same time? Um, I tend to sort of do everybody else around me first, and I sort of put myself in the... I've got a very clear idea of how we're going to cut it, I suppose. I mean, I'm, I don't waste any... I don't waste, There's not much wastage when we shoot. It's usually all used, you know. I was interested to know, uh, when you, in terms of directing, what your process is, in that I wondered, do you storyboard it? Do you come to it with <coughs> Or do you sort of look at the blocking and go, right, I know what I'm going to do based on this on the day? I assume when you're shooting... A spaghetti western spoof you know that you want the, the tight shots like that and the hand on the gun and that kind of thing that's but, right but but how sort of um 
how much of you know in terms of shots do you do you come to the shoot day knowing that I you think want? I go to every I look through every scene usually sort of because because you've written it and you've something oh, do I write that oh, shit we're going to shoot that have we God um, something you've you know you've sort of basically you've, you've forgotten your writer now yeah and you're looking saying that doesn't work we've got to tighten now to do something so you you look at your script and go it's just like belongs to somebody else now yeah that's how I do I don't I don't think oh, this is my work this is all my work my writing. Let's go, yeah, this, this, can we do better with this? You know, have you got any ideas how we can always try this and try, you know, if you, something looks clunky when you're in the spot. So I tend to sort of go through, you know, the night or the morning four and just figure out how, how am I going to do this scene and what's it going to cut to and how's it, you know. I'll tell you a quick story actually about directing was when uh, Steve Martin came to see our film, The Supergrass, at the premiere. Yeah. And we were huge fans of his from The Jerk, you know, and that was one of the funniest films ever, I thought. You know, the first half is, is fantastically funny. I was so in awe of him coming. And the next day he phoned me up and I thought it was my father-in-law, he's American. <laughs> he says, oh, uh, Peter, um, this, is, you know, this is, and I said, oh, Norman, how are you? And he said, um, it wasn't with Steve Martin. So I wanted to come down to Pinewood and he was shooting Little Shop of Horrors, which is a film where he's a dentist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we were having a feeling, he said, well, I, I really like Supergrass. He said, and he was very nice about it. He said, I just, the scene where you were all laughing, you're playing this kind of truth game. You're all sitting around laughing. He said, look, just so like you really were laughing. And uh, he said, well, you were directing it. How did you do it? I said, I'm on one word. I'm on outro. And he was like shocked. There was no <laughs> way. He was, I mean, he just thought, what? They, they, you know, they give, and I said, well, I, how did I do it? And I said, well, I, I gave the cameraman three shots I wanted done. <laughs> I said, before I take this drug, I want you to shoot it. And let's see how he was lighting it. So I left it down to him to shoot it. <laughs> and, uh, that's how I did it, but you know, um, that particular scene, yes. But I knew I had to do it because we had to get out of it. So, what was it like directing your friends? And because uh, uh, I saw uh, in a little snippet of an interview where Aid mentioned you had a bit of a row shooting four men in a plane. Um, did you oh, ever, have, they... ever, ever have any difficulties shooting shooting those those guys? I think what has happened. I what I liked about the end of the car one was the four of them standing on the bank when the car gets totaled and there's a sort of shot of the four of us and I thought what I'd like to do is to shoot the scenes as much as possible with all four of us in the camera and that's what the film does it does it's a lot of developing shots with the four, four of them in. and I think there's something Adrian wanted to do that didn't fit with my, my design <laughs> and uh, I think he wants to do a different way and I usually say yes let's do it that way as well you know and if it works better I'll, we'll use that I'm not not going to stick you know stick out and do you know if someone comes up with something better I'm really happy to do that you know and uh, so and he just made a film, the bottom film, guest house parody film. Yeah, and I think he was kind of thinking I, I wasn't doing it right, something like that. And I think he, I think he found it restrictive the fact I was trying to choreograph the camera and the shot and the people, and everything, so that it all works. And I think it does work. I think, uh, to be honest, I thought I was right about that. Um, you know, I think the film is good because it's got that group group thing. There's always three or four people in the shot. You know. Yeah. I agree. I've not, I've never watched it thinking, oh, I wish this was done a different way. So I, I hopefully you're hopefully you're vindicated. <laughs> I mean, the great thing is we never left the ground on that plane. Obviously, we never. And you don't. I mean, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that you never think we're not up in the sky there. Hmm. And I didn't even think of that. Coach, yeah, waving the coach. It's all done in the car park outside this hotel. You know, with a fan, with a thing blowing in wind and stuff. And all the plates we shot just match so beautifully with the interior. Yeah. And it all looks yeah, like it all cuts together very seamlessly. Yeah, absolutely. Because we lost our cameraman, John Metcalf, who finally drunk far too much vodka. Uh, 
couldn't couldn't basically couldn't get out of the get, get out of the minibus. He was sort of done in, done in. Wow. So, so the gaffer we had out there, he and I shot it really. I mean, you know, just basically. By then, I'd done a lot of stellar streaks, so I was kind of into I was into lighting as well. <laughs> and in, in terms of directing, you sort of had a bit of a, a mentor in Bob Spears, who everyone will know as a real sort of titan of of British comedy. What was it like watching him and observing him and learning from him? Um. Yes, I mean, I think, funny enough, I mean, because I've been making my own films before. Bob was a, well, Bob was a TV sitcom director, and, um, you know, he, he, was, he was at most at home when he had three, four cameras uh, on stage, you know, and he's in the control room. And so, you know, he'd done brilliant shows like Vaulty Towers, he'd done Goodies, he'd done Dad's Army. I mean, and then, of course, he did all things like Bottom, Absolute Fabulous, you know, and these are all TV so the actual filmmaking experience was a kind of new thing for him, oddly enough. But what he sh- what he showed me was definitely how to make timing work, and you know, to, his his main thing was the TV waves to cover it from different angles, so you could always cut. Right. Whereas someone like Stephen Frears would say to you, "Oh, uh, yeah, don't, stop acting, just do it quicker." <laughs> stop acting, do it quicker. So, I mean, that was that. So you don't have to do the cuts. So that was interesting, you know, that you, you, the, but it's all about pacing. Pacing, film time is a lot slower than real life. It's, you know, you, you've got to be much more quicker than, than you think in film, you know. Did you have a favourite director outside of, you, you can't choose yourself, but uh, did, did you? Have... <laughs> why, would, why would I use myself? <laughs> um, of course yeah. I was the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I like both of them. I thought they were both great, actually. And I, I worked well with Bob. And we had, we had our fallouts, you know, because I wanted to kind of go European, European cinema and not do any cuts. And one, one in Susie, we had a real fallout. Because I, I wanted it to look like one of those French films, you know, when there's sort of just everything happens in the, cam- in the camera sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, but that just, he just said, like, you're going to, you know, being too, much too artsy fartsy in, you know, sort of thing. So Stephen was, I think Stephen was more of a teacher, actually, for enough, because he teaches at the film school. He said, um, I was going to, you, you're coming on next. You should give me little lessons, you know. So you're going to come on next. He said, in Consuela. He said, and he, it was an actress there. He said, um, I would do a close up of her to point you up to make your entrance better. He said, but there's nothing happening in your eyes, so I don't see the point of it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you who that was, but I hope that wasn't within her. Was that within her earshot? Probably. <laughs> Probably. I mean, his steam was so, was so outrageous. I mean, with Rick and Aid, he was, he was very funny with them because they, he'd say, right, what are we doing today? Like, you know, he just took it out of his car. So, what are we doing today? Like, you know, he hadn't been up all night working on the script. Where's Rick and Abe? Well, okay, read out the scene. Right. And so they sort of read the scene. He said, Right, you say that. You, you say it. Don't you? No, you say that. And then you say that. Okay, go on. And he's showing the cameraman. He's doing this with his fingers to show the cameraman what they're shooting. And they do the thing and they finish. And he goes, And that's funny, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he goes, Rick, so yeah, that's the joke. He said, How depressing. Right, camera over here. <laughs> wow. So that was interesting working with him. I mean, he, he was awful. He was very cruel to Robbie on the bullshits, you know. Robbie would be doing, Rob, he, what he hated was that someone who was two at home in front of the camera. And so one, he wanted to inflict a bit of danger. So Robbie would be just about to do this long little speech. And what Robbie would do, would be telling a story right up, right up until the clapperboard goes in like that. Yeah. Uh, he'd be telling a story and just switch straight to the character where he's doing yeah. this, this bit. I've heard that. As well, yeah. And then, and then at the end, Stephen went, "Cut!" He said, "That's dreadful. Do it again." <laughs> it's just Robbie went. It's just because he didn't like him talking before he was on going on. 
So a bit of a nerdy question here. Um, I don't know if you can remember the answer to this. In forming in a car and forming in a plane, everyone apart from you has the same name as the other one. Yeah. Assume they're the same character, I and guess, no. but not you. Do you know no. why that why that is? I didn't like the character I played. I just thought I couldn't I couldn't get into it. I couldn't I I couldn't get a handle on it. And I I met someone on a shoot. I did a commercial in I did a lot of commercials by the way when I wasn't doing so I learned a lot from doing 30 something in 30 seconds, you know, which was help it helps inform me in a car to shoot like that, you know. But, um this um character was also really sleazy with a goatee beard and stuff and in Switzerland and I thought oh, that's that's the guy I should play in the thing. So I just didn't want I wasn't happy with the character I was playing really. Fair enough. I mean I thought the other three were great, you know, but I wanted to have something a bit more that I could show off a bit with, you know. Yeah, uh, in in Four Men in a Car, the the guy the character was a bit more of a victim for the others, wasn't he? Whereas in Four Men in a Plane, you he's more of an equal. I'm just more sleazy and just a bit more like and you know, just my own kind of got my own space a bit. And I thought I just was a bit of an extra on that whole thing, which I didn't mind. I think it worked fine, you know. Is sleazy the most fun thing to play? I suppose it's, well, Rick and I used to love, you know, that whole sort of, because it's just, it's like Leslie Phillips, isn't it? You know, it's, everyone wants to be Leslie Phillips. <laughs> and also it's funny, I suppose, for us, you know, it's the boo hiss kind of character like that, you know. And um, businessmen on a conference is them at their worst as well, wasn't it? So I think you I can think have so. some fun. Absolutely. And I think we really delved into that world, world thanks to Pete and his brother. His brother was in that world. So Pete knew all the lingo and all the sort of Pete Richards knew a lot of the, the stuff about that. But Adrian had the idea about the record. I've got to say the, uh, it was Adrian's idea about the, uh, um, the skipping, skipping the, gold. Yes, what's the in, in, indestructible? Mm-hmm. You're indestructible, indestructible. Indestructible. Yeah. indestructible. <laughs> so Comic Strip started on Channel 4, um, yeah. but then finished. The, there on 1988 and moved to BBC in 1990 and then back to Channel 4 and yeah, then Gold. How come all I mean, that happened? Whoever's, in, who's ever there? I mean, there's nice people move in. They want to work with you. They obviously move for more money to another channel. Then you may see them at the other channel. So, you know, I mean, then someone moves in and goes, I don't, I'm, I'm doing things differently now. I mean, that's what happened with Michael Grade moving into Channel 4. You know, it was end up, he was like, he was he lost everybody you know he lost harry enfield and Vic and bob me us and ruby and jonathan ross i mean it was just an absolute you know but and in fact we went we were in montreux getting board for the strike and he was having dinner with us smoking his huge cigar he said um i understand you're doing your next series on video or something and i thought oh I said i didn't know that he said oh, maybe i misheard it because what you're saying is you're not doing films anymore you're going to do something on television that i want so everything i sent him which was you know Pope Must Die, which is a three-part thing with the comic strip. Hmm. Pope Must Die and Five Go to Hell, we were going to do in the jungle and stuff. And he just cancelled them all. And we had no choice but to go, really. And the BBC gave us the same money. We said, we don't want any more money, and we just want the same money as we had Channel 4. Was there any issue with keeping the name the comic strip? Was there any fight on that or anything? Or? No, I started the comic strip as a, as a, as a club. As a club. Yeah. So it was already, yeah, it was already yeah. my thing, you know, so, you know, comic strip. Do you feel a spiritual home with any channel in particular? Do you feel like a Channel 4 thing or is it? do you just think of it as no, your... All, all those people that were there have gone. They went. Yeah. I mean, they were gone by the end of 1989. There was no one left that, you know, you, you got close to. It all... Jeremy Isaacs had gone and he was he was really the kind of guy behind us, you know. 
and Mike Bolland, you know, commissioned us. So suddenly we were the whole new people, a lot of people at BBC. And they move around like crazy anyway. So, you know, they're always yeah. swapping jobs and moving to another channel. Everyone's, everyone's always kind of going up and up and up the pole to get to the top. Yeah. But the comic strip was your, it's your baby, isn't it? So like whichever broadcaster it was yes. on, it, you know. It... So actually the weird thing is now we're now on ITV, uh, Redbox. <laughs> we've, done them all, we've done them all now, except they haven't, we haven't made anything new for them particularly. Apart from these best half hours I've just cut, these half hours. It's been quite well documented that the young ones went out a week after the comic strip because um, the BBC didn't want to fall behind like, these right. guys. Right. Yes. Um, what was what were your feelings about that at the time? It was it was um, it was quite uh, it, it was quite unpleasant in some ways. I mean, I think that it was the this producer Paul Jackson. I think came in and wanted to. He basically wanted to split a double axe to start with, and that was what got me uh, on the wrong side of him. Really, was he? He wanted to. He did a talent show called Boom Boom Out of the Lights, where he said, "Right, I want Rick, but I don't want Aid. I want Nigel, but no Peter." So we kind of been working for months together, getting these acts together, and suddenly he was splitting everybody up and cherry picking who he wanted. And then he did the same thing when we started the comic strip and. Dawn and Jennifer came, I auditioned them and they came and joined the comic strip. And they were teachers, they hadn't done anything on stage, you know, before, apart from what they'd done at drama school. And he came and he said, right, I'm going to do this show again, but I, I don't, I want you guys, but not the girls, they, they, we don't need them. I said, you can't come in and do that. I was really cross, I said, you can't come and cherry pick this game. You know, we're, we're part of a group now, you know. So anyway, that sort of basically alienated me. You know, I was, I was definitely not going to be considered for the young ones, which, I'd written two characters out of it, you know, that Mike and Neil were both sort of characters I invented. But where, I mean, I think what happened then was that Channel 4 suddenly was going to start and I was, I was invited to go in there and suddenly I was going to make a series of films. I went, wow. So what, <laughs> what do I need to worry about that for? Was, was there but, ever any sort of question of, uh, well, I, you know, like, well, I created these characters so you can't use them, that kind of thing. Is I never that, went there. Or... I never went there, actually. And I, it's only sort of recently I thought, hang on, I did, I, you know, created those guys. I think the bigger picture was I was going to work with our gang, even though someone had gone off to do the young ones. I was going to work with them on the comic strip for years. I mean, the young ones was finished by 1984. We were still making films in 2004 with the comic strip. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like 30 years ago. So I was, I was going for the long form. I was going for the long long call you know yeah absolutely and the the young ones is often quoted as obviously a turning point in alternative comedy but i think it's it's the comic strip as you say had the longevity you know? yes and they were doing they were doing stuff that they've been doing on the, in the comic strip I mean, that was where they got that's where they got first seen i suppose mm -hmm. the other thing i would say about the young ones is that when i watch it i don't think i would have i don't think i would have been safe in it at all i don't think i would have created a character that would be I think the sitcom world of Paul Jackson, the way he did it. And it's the right way to That's Paul. That's my answer, actually. Paul Jackson. Yes. Paul Jackson's uh, agent on the phone. But I think looking at that, I, in hindsight, I would have been rubbish in it, to be honest. And I, I, mean, I, don't, I, I, I don't think I was, out, I was right for sitcom. Kind of, I, I like we were doing stories. I like playing film characters. And, it wasn't my world, really. That's all. I mean, that's but. interesting because certainly some people would think, "Oh, if only you played Mike in the Young Ones, it would have been a very different show." And of course, you know, Christopher Ryan did a good job with it, but often a few people do actually criticise the character of Mike quite a lot. He looked so, like a character out of the seventies. I thought that was the thing. He looked like one of those guys out of you know the two, two not yeah, the, the likely lads or something. He's like something out of the likely lads. Yeah, I thought he was a different world. 
as Which fans probably... of that show, like we've often, you know, you often wonder what might have been if if you had been cast in that role. But of course, it's I don't know. I mean, again, see, when I did Bad News, I think Spider was equally. Was, I felt I, I was equal to the others on that because I had a really strong character. It was real, and I don't know what I would have found because the young ones were so heightened. Like you had Rick being over the top, sort of Rick character. You had Adrian going through walls with his hair, and you got Nigel going like that. Mm. I didn't know quite where I was going to fit into that that sort of over the top cartoon kind of world they were creating. You know what I mean? So it was, it's um, probably why they did struggle with Mike. Well, maybe because I mean, I, I don't think I would have. I don't know. I, I really don't know. But it was never. It, was, it didn't happen. So yeah, but I'm, not, I'm not unhappy by that. Really, I actually think I'm quite glad I wasn't. Things I missed, yeah, it, it happened as it was meant to. And I, had uh, lots of, I, I was a, I was already starting to work on these films, you know, I was working, you know making these films. So. Mm. And if you um, were to make another the comic strip today, are there any current comedians you'd love to cast? And I do all the time, yeah. But you know, I mean, we were working the last lot with Morgana and people like that, and um, the you know the the in between of you know Jack and James Buckley and yeah, James Buckley, mm. yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's always new people coming up that you want to work with, you know. So yeah, do I'd love you... to work. with yeah, and do you, uh, obviously, would you like to get any of the go- old gang back together? Oh, again? we try the ones that are still alive. You mean? Mm. Yeah. God, yes. No, Dawn and Jennifer, I I speak to a lot. They were going to be both they were both going to be in Lion of the Day, and Nigel was. Nigel was going to play Dominic Cummings, which would be wonderful. At you know. Oh, that would be great. He had a great, great Dominic Cummings. I wrote Don, great Dominic Cummings from you know. Do people do people pitch you comic strip ideas? I have heard of someone in the past, yeah. And in fact, the Hunt for Sam Bin Laden was one. And I thought, no, we should do the Hunt for Tony Blair, not Hunt for Sam. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately went and thought, thought that I should do that instead. Right, I wrote that with Pete, you know. But, that yeah. but do, you ever, uh, do you ever get people coming to you going, oh, I've got a great idea for a comic strip thing, uh, you know, like. Sometimes. There's usually things we've done already. Right, right. <laughs> Is it? Are they, are they generally like not very? Yeah, they're either stuff that you've done already, or they're not very good ideas. And I'm world. probably being unfair, but it's like you, know, it's, you read the first page and you go, "I'm not sure about this." But I'm, I'm not very good at reading other, other pieces yeah. of scripts. Don't worry, that's not a precursor to me whipping out. Um, I'm not sure. Oh, and saying I've got a great idea. It bloody was. He's going to email I'm you. Still, I'm still sad we didn't do the, the Boris one. It would have been funny, and I think it would have sustained because it had a good story about them being spies. So it wasn't just so it wasn't just like if you missed that moment, it was actually a story you could tell in ten years' time because it was about the came instead of the Cambridge Four, it was the Oxford Three. Yeah, and and that way, and Dominic Cummings being he was the KGB colonel in, in and he had spent time in Moscow. Dominic Cummings has spent four or five years in Moscow. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit suspect, that isn't it? They spent. Some know, time. Yeah, but there's a funny moment in the film where they've been trained, and Jennifer Jennifer's trained them. How to be entitled and, and how to be entitled Etonians and all this sort of stuff, you know. Um, and they arrive in a crate on the side of Eaton Cricket Ground. And as, as the crate's dumped on the grass, a ball, a cricket ball, hits the side of the, the crate. And they come out dressed in cricket gear and go, Come on, you chaps, hurry up. <laughs> so this, um, it's a really good intro, intro into the into Eaton, you know, come fully dressed in cricket gear, landed in a crate, you know. That's something we'd love to see. And uh, like we, we hope that it's. Uh, well, um, the ideas that you've got for new comic strip uh, shows and films as well as your experiences on the uh, making the previous ones I wondered if they were all going to form part of a book that we we heard you were writing you're working on at the moment is that I'm, working, I'm writing a book yeah at the moment I'm starting I've now started working on uh, this 
story of, you know, and I'm quite enjoying it. I start with, I was so scared of it, I couldn't really write, but so I think I'm getting better at it because prose is such a different thing to writing scripts, mm. you know. Scripts are easy, really, compared with writing. You know. at, at the moment, is that something that you've got an anticipated release date for, or is it, or is it sort of? No, I haven't got, a, I haven't got a publisher or anything. I just thought I'll get it done and then see what happens, really. And I, I think we're going to do this. Nigel and I are going to do this tour next, next January, February. Um, you know, tour doing what we're doing at BFI, really, which is okay. sort of showing, it's doing, showing best of sort of thing out of one film. You know, so we do two part, doing two parts and show a film. Because we did that in Bristol last week, a couple of weeks ago, at the Slapstick Festival, we did um, mm. we showed bad news, more bad news, a shorter version of it, and we showed um, this this yeah half hour of, of these films we've done with interviews and stuff. So we're going to do that, I think, probably next year with a Q and A kind of thing. Fantastic! And obviously, you've got the BFI thing coming up. Tickets yeah. are still available. People should all buy them. Um, uh, but otherwise, where is the best place for? people to watch episodes of the comic strip well we got them on Britbox. i don't know that london live had them for a while i think they still i'm not sure if they still got them but, um... they did yeah they were they were running them uh, i think last month uh, they were running really? quite well. yeah 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 um i've got an, i've got an idea for a, for a comic strip pitch go go okay you got 15 five, seconds five go mad <laughs> in a retirement home that's it yeah. it's only a title but that there you go I think Rick and A did that, didn't they? I think they did a version of that. Ah, you That's see, what they were thinking of uh, doing it, yeah. They, they, they said that if they were going to do another series of Bottom in the future, they would wait until they were old enough to be hitting each other with colostomy bags and that kind of thing. Yes, exactly, bags. exactly. That was what it was. And I think I did one in Stella Street like that with the stars going, I'm sure I did, a, <laughs> I'm sure I did a, an episode, I'm sure. I can't um, remember. You know what? I'll tuck my my five go mad in a retirement home back uh, back into the drawer, and maybe I'll, I'll maybe I'll, I'll work on it a bit more. So it's more than just actually five. We did five go to rehab, which was um, exactly which was yeah, them was, thirty years later, and that was sort of sad, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, that was them sort of running around trying to steal gin and things. But rehab comes before retirement, so there's still room for. That's right, right. But it's it's the sort of that thing that they they're not the same as they were. I can't say. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much for talking to us today, Peter. Thank you very much for uh, for yeah, for um, doing this. Great. Yeah. Thank, thank you, very, Peter. Thank, thank you for speaking to us. We're Absolutely a pleasure. Speak to you both. Yes. Great. We're looking forward to the BFI. We'll oh, see, see you there. Then. See you You'll there. see us okay. waving at the back. <laughs> no, great. Lovely. Look forward to it. Look forward to seeing. You. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you we very will. much. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 Take care.